Welcome to Mirrorly. I'm Kate Gray Johnson. And I'm Brie Kine. And this is a podcast where we talk about body image and use our own personal stories to reflect on the lies we believe about ourselves, our bodies, and each other. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode one. I'm Kate. And I'm Bree. Kate and I are roommates. We live in Los Angeles, California. I'm originally from San Diego, California. And I'm originally from Pennsylvania, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Farmland. Farmland. Woot. Land of the Amish and Mennonite culture. Well, there you go. It's, yeah. But you weren't Amish or Mennonite. I was not, no. But it, they're lovely people, and I, and I really, actually love that culture and society. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I've only passed through for my eighth grade trip to the East Coast. So. Did you really? Yeah. I didn't even. Wow, two years together. We never learned this information. Well, okay. Fun facts all around. Basically, we decided to do this podcast because. In conversations that Kate and I have had, we both experienced some similar things in life, but in very different ways. We both have experienced eating disorders. I was anorexic. And I was bulimic. And do you want to, because this was your idea, do you want to like give a little bit of a... Yeah, I guess... The inspiration for doing this in a limited series podcast form was essentially that when Brie moved in to the apartment we currently live in about two years ago, pretty briefly into meeting each other, I kind of offhand mentioned I had been bulimic and that instigated her sharing that she had been anorexic. And so over the past couple of years, we've had conversations, piecemeal conversations about our experiences, how we thought about things. And I've just learned a lot in having those conversations with Brie, uh, in hearing how she processed things. And like I said, it's been in kind of a piecemeal way. And I think in this past year, even these past several months, I've come into a place where I've started to recognize people saying these things that are totally normal to say, but I hear this lie in them, this lie about how we think about our bodies and our appearance and our value in our society, in our city, in our friend group, all of the above. And I don't think I could have gotten there to where I just hear friends saying these things where I'm like, oh no, don't believe that. Like, Mm -hmm. that's not true. That's not normal to say. It shouldn't be normal to say. And I don't think I would have gotten to where I'm at if I hadn't had those series of conversations with you, with someone who, while anorexia is a little different from bulimia, someone who really went there, who (laughs) slipped down that hill um, and knows what it's like to really be in it. There's something valuable about talking with you where I don't have to over explain anything mm-hmm. or try to uh, garner your empathy. I know you were there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so it expedites something almost in that conversation. And so, yeah, the inspiration for this podcast was really to just provide that resource for other people because it's hard to have those conversations. And especially if you're right in the thick of it and you're not sure if you feel safe enough or even if you need to, maybe you, you might feel as though I, you've got this under control and you're just going to figure it out and get things to where you want them to be before you let anybody in. It was definitely my experience. Mine too. I, I wanted to have the problem solved before I admitted there was a problem. Yeah. And there were so many other nuances to even feeling like it was a problem. But that being said, I had these conversations with Brie and they really have been a significant part of my healing process. And I thought it would be valuable to share those conversations with a wider audience because hopefully they will help you wherever you're at, whether you're in the thick of it, whether you're in process of healing and there's just, you're on a plateau, just something won't budge. Yeah, that's pretty much the goal too of of Kate and I sharing these conversations is because based on our own experiences of talking to each other the past two years, just because we're roommates and we live together and... And we kind of like each other. And we kind of are friends. Um, <laughs> but I can echo your experience in finding a lot of freedom and and truth in our conversations that I hadn't necessarily thought about before because I hadn't shared some of the experiences that I had or hadn't I hadn't heard someone else share things that were so similar to my own experiences. Not in our circumstances, but, but in, in our the, thoughts. And in the nature of it. Yeah. Exactly. So here we go. So here we go. So let's go backwards in time <laughs> a us. little bit to the beginning. Um, what was your relationship to food and to your body as a kid? Like, Do you remember anything about that time and that space? I do remember a little bit in that I feel that I had a pretty normal relationship with food as a child. My family was pretty normal. I don't know, like normal American diet. <laughs> um, cheeseburgers yeah. and more cheeseburgers. Um, and, and I think that I didn't even really think, or I don't remember thinking about eating quote unquote healthy until, I don't know, maybe 12 hmm. years old. And before that, it was way more just whatever. Like, I didn't even think about it. You know what I mean? And I do remember my relationship with my body and my body image definitely started before that. Um, mm. How so? In that I remember, it's funny because you mentioned earlier that it seems sometimes that LA introduces these things into the world. And I remember some of that coming from watching TV and watching movies and seeing people who 
were thin and celebrated for being thin. Mm. And as a kid, I, I wasn't overweight, but I wasn't thin. And I noticed that. And I not because I noticed not just on TV, but I noticed all my friends were smaller than me. And other people noticed that. Other people noticed that your friends were smaller than you? Yeah, in, in the sense that it would be pointed out, not maliciously or with any bad intentions, but just, you know, like in conversations with us, like, oh, you're so petite and no one ever said that to me. Or, oh, whatever the expressions are, like, you're a stick or you're whatever, which I don't, <laughs> I hate that anyways. But those types of comments would get tossed around a lot specifically to people that I was friends with but never at me and I noticed it you know and without really realizing that I noticed it you felt left out in a way yeah that's interesting so it wasn't so much as like a commentary on how you looked it was more just kind of that everybody around you looked a certain way dot 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 yeah I don't remember exactly what age I myself started thinking in in the words of, oh, I'm too fat or, oh, I'm too whatever. I don't know when that started, but I remember as early as being in fourth grade thinking those things. And it wasn't, I mean, I was in fourth grade. It wasn't my only thought and it didn't manifest itself in any any ways with food or anything like that at that time. I just remember having those thoughts. And it's kind of what we were saying earlier about these lies that are so small and they just take root. And I think that when you allow those things to take root, they just keep growing. Was it adults that were saying those things to you or was it other kids your age or your older kids your older siblings age because you're the baby of the family and yeah. an older sister yeah from my memory it was mostly adults that I would overhear or that would make passing comments overhear puts it in such a weird light because it makes it feel like adults are commenting on children's appearance <laughs> not to them but just <laughs> chatting about it yeah but I think it's very normal for that to happen in as passing remarks. People do comment on people's appearance in passing, even in just describing people. Yeah. It feels... I'm trying to, like, dig at what that situation was because to... Because you definitely felt left out in that space. Mm -hmm. You were hearing these things and you felt left out or kind of singled out as being the one that wasn't commented on. I think that... It was more of an overtime mm. recognizing that I, in those circumstances, if I overhear this or it's being said directly to us or as a passing comment, but it's never said about me. And I just took note of that. Yeah. Of, no, I've never heard anyone say these things about me. And there must be something wrong or not good. Yeah. Because if these comments are being made about other people, then that must mean that that's supposed to be 
what you, like that's what you're supposed to be, you know? I think I heard similar comments, but for me it was a little different. I don't I don't think I felt left out in that way till I was older, but as a kid I feel like I picked up on kind of the same thing you're saying, but just picked up on that other people had their appearance complimented very clearly. Mm-hmm. Even less than just overhearing a comment, a description of someone flippantly. I I can't remember exact events, but I I know that I heard often when someone was beautiful, it was commented on. And I think my dad was probably the only person that told me I was pretty. It wasn't consistent, but it was there enough and Oh, I wouldn't have. I like. I I remember though only believing that once. I remember he told me several times, and I only believed it once. And I remember the feeling we were. I remember the car we were in, and we were driving home down a freeway, and he said that, and I totally believed it. And for like the whole rest of that car ride, I was just like, I am. I, I am really pretty. <laughs> was that? Why did you not believe it the other times? I can't even remember when and where the other times were. I just know it was said more than once. I mean, my my relationship with food as a kid was very specific because I have PKU, phenylketonuria, and that is and I was diagnosed with that when I was born. So essentially that means I can't have a lot of protein. And it's it's all fine if you adhere to a certain diet. Uh, I had this formula that I took and I still take. Ironically, <laughs> that formula at the time, they've like developed different formulas since, but it was really heavy and very rich. And so I couldn't eat anything for like an hour after t- having it or I'd throw up. <laughs> <laughs> but I just because of that, I mean, my parents took care of that for me, but they were also educating me as I was a kid on how to approach food uh and I don't they didn't do anything wrong with that <laughs> side note but I was made aware very early on about food about diet essentially I had to be on a permanent diet and I still am and so there was never a time in my life that I wasn't hyper aware of food mm-hmm. I had to be I was taught how to read labels, mostly for protein, not all the other stuff. Yeah. But food was always something I couldn't fully embrace or explore. And I definitely think, I mean, that's not a lie I believed or something like that, but that definitely had an effect. Hmm. Um, it just kind of puts your mind fixates on it. Yeah. You can't avoid that. And I was just hyper aware that there was something I couldn't have that everybody else could. I actually felt very, I mean, I don't understand fully why, but I think it's just the nature of being a kid and just any little thing makes you feel very much like an outsider. But I never told anybody. I didn't, I didn't really have friends in elementary school, not at school at least. So there was nobody to tell that I had PKU. But I remember in sixth grade, I finally, like, made a good friend in school 
and didn't tell her just kind of, you know, and I remember having to work up the nerve towards the end of that school year to tell her, so I haven't told you this, but like I have PKU and it means I can't eat meat or have a lot of protein. And I don't know why, but even at that age, I felt like that was a huge deal. Yeah. And I also felt like, I don't know what I expected. I don't know why I would have expected to be rejected. I mean, I had experienced some rejection from other people as a kid, but it had nothing to do with that. So I don't know why I was so afraid to say it, <laughs> but I was terrified. It, it just, to me, I already felt weird and it made me weirder. Mm-hmm. So my relationship with food was always something that felt as though it set me apart and made me different. And it's also something that just trained my mind, for better and for worse, to be hyper aware of food and be hyper aware of what I couldn't have. In terms of my body, I, I remember several occasions, you know, there's that time that moment in the car happened and I totally believed my dad, but I was never, I was always a little chubby, I think. And I think I had a little bit of an awareness of it, but not enough to think it mattered greatly. I also had gap teeth. So that was another physical thing that felt like it was negative and set me apart. I guess when you're that young, it's kind of just a pot that's brewing things as opposed to you feeling overwhelmed by any of them consistently. Yeah. Oh, that's super interesting. Because I know all those things mattered and I felt them, but I didn't feel them consistently and I wasn't totally, I hadn't fully come into being conscious of them. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably pretty common. I think oftentimes as a kid, you are just taking in information both for better and for worse Mm. in terms of taking in the positive things, but also trying to process negative ones. I think to some extent as a child, we just don't have the strategy to process the negative things. And so I think what you're saying is absolutely accurate that it just kind of brews in you and there's still so much to discover yeah you don't even feel like you can put together a full picture yeah you're so used to always learning mm-hmm. and always filling in blanks so it's not quite the end result yet if it makes you feel bad or confused you feel that but you're still not sure what that means yeah i don't know like There are definitely certain moments that stand out to me. And it's funny, even as we're talking about this, when we're talking about how things impact you or why they felt like a big deal. I think there were some things that, you know, traumatized me as a child, whether they should have or not. I think a lot of times when we say trauma, kind of similarly to us thinking that, you know, anorexia means you're on the brink of death because you haven't eaten in 400 years Mm -hmm. and bulimia means you're constantly vomiting you're just the vomiting is never ending to be truly those things to really own that title because if you're gonna do it (laughs) you better do it um 
I think trauma doesn't always mean you were physically abused or molested or etc etc any of the big things those things are totally real and relevant and happen to too many people too often but there are these little traumas that happen that really impact you and I can remember just because I didn't have friends at school kind of latching onto this one group of girls who kind of allowed me to be around them and one of them I just thought was the coolest person in the world and I remember one day working up the nerve to invite her to hang out at my house sometime outside of school and I think I think she had probably just been told that honesty is the best policy by her parents or something and totally (laughs) rolled with that but I remember her response being Katie you're just really annoying and that devastated me because I didn't have any close friends at school in that environment and I had to work up the nerve to ask her to come hang out with me it felt like a really vulnerable thing yeah and then to receive that response just like straight to the point that was the whole conversation that was the beginning and the end of that conversation and I think even that experience lended to me feeling super self-conscious about telling my friend that I had PKU yeah Because it was just another thing that made me weird or different or, I don't know, maybe it would be found annoying that I had to do that. Gosh, that's heartbreaking. But those things stick with you, man. And the funny thing is about that is you can't really prevent that from happening to kids, Mm -hmm. you know? So what do you do with all that? Right. Being told something like that causes you to reflect on all aspects of yourself and the easiest one I think is image because that's your first impression and I think you kind of associate your identity so much with how people receive how you look if only I can be pretty to look at me people will keep me around whether they like me or not you know it felt so important to being liked being beautiful felt important to being valuable yeah it it for sure is all those little moments it's funny because that moment being told I was annoying felt really traumatizing but then I think of things that were said to me that should have I would have expected reflecting on them that they would have felt more traumatizing in the moment than they did my Grammy was a lovely human and a weirdo and so much fun and I adored her and she adored me but she was also very vain and she was thin all her life and very proud of it and I remember she brought up my weight I don't even I think it's when I got a little chubbier than normal I was probably preteens I don't know 11 or 10 or 11 or something and I remember it was a very private conversation and she was just encouraging me to exercise and eat well, then trying to put like, you know, do laps on this porch. But, but I don't remember hearing that and thinking, oh, wow, I'm fat. I remember not being very concerned about it, but wanting to please her. And I, I don't know if this is a true memory or not, but I feel like my mom either overheard that or maybe I said something to her because I just remember my mom kind of tr- trying to minimize it Mm -hmm. I wonder if when she hears this she'll remember that or not (laughs) 
because I do, but it's kind of um, amorphous in my mind. Like, I remember the feeling of that, mm-hmm. like my mom dismissing my grandma's response. But yeah, I was very unconcerned about that in that moment. I'm sure it had some kind of impact because I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't remember all of a sudden being like, oh my gosh, I'm fat. Or mm-hmm. feeling like, oh, I must be ugly, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And to kind of rewind a little bit to what you were saying about feeling traumatized by someone pointing out something about you as a person kind of seeps right into eventually getting to the place where you're believing all these lies about yourself and that affecting the way that you see your physical self because changing who you are as a person is not as easy as changing your appearance Mm -hmm. and like what you said a little bit flippantly if you can just be pretty maybe people will keep you around even if they don't like you (laughs) and I think that that's an actual real lie and mentality that people have that I had and that you had and I think a lot of people have I don't know if I can change who I am as a person. So maybe if I can change how I look, people will receive me better and therefore I will be accepted, even if I'm trash. (laughs) You know? And you know what? That works in Hollywood. It does. (laughs) That's that's why we believe. No, I'm just kidding. That's why we're here, guys. We figured it out. And so we're just going to roll with that. (laughs) I just am realizing that we're probably going to reference LA a lot. <laughs> yeah, definitely stay tuned for more wisecracks about LA culture. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's trash. Yeah. Um, I did have one. I thought of a story in. It's basically the same stuff um, we've already been talking about. Okay. So. I thought of a story and we don't like, you don't have to include this in, but I just remembered it. When we, I... we don't have to or you don't want to include it? No, we don't okay. have to. Like, it Got doesn't it. matter. Um, But. When I was kind of reflecting on where I became aware of my relationship with my body and food and all of those things, I had this memory of being in first grade and it wasn't directly, it wasn't me reflecting on myself, but it was an interesting thing because I think it shows the how early these lies can take root of I had okay I have this memory of being in first grade and I was reading a book to my class because we took turns doing that and I think the sentence that I was reading in the book was something along the lines of the cat was fat or the fat cat sat or something along those lines and I could read. I was a pretty good reader. And I remember opening the page and being horrified that the word fat was on the page. And I was, I didn't want to say it because I was embarrassed. And I literally pretended that I didn't know the word and had another girl in my class come up and help me so that I didn't have to say the word because I just, I had that memory And I thought even at the age of, I was probably six, in my mind, 
I knew that fat equaled bad and embarrassing. And I didn't want to say it out loud even because I thought people would laugh at me. And it's absurd. Right. So real. It is. And, and it, and that's the thing. It's totally absurd, but that's how I felt. And I remember very strongly being so upset about it even afterwards to the point that I'm almost 23 and I remember it, you know? Yeah. So I just realized in, in that, in remembering that, how I don't know where that came from. I can't remember a thing that would have triggered me thinking that, but I did think that as a six-year-old. So again, I think it's just another example of these things build up in our minds over time and they just keep growing and we don't even realize they're there yeah what's frustrating and and sad is that I think kids are still going through the same experiences they just go through it knowing that or being told more that it's not okay to quote-unquote fat shame people and it's not okay to I mean just as it has ever been not always but as it has been in more recent generations of it's not okay to bully people and it's not okay to all those things kids are being taught that not okay to hit someone in the face yeah Yeah. like don't punch someone it's all those things are still are being taught more and more but i don't think it's changing the experience that kids are having because we're human yeah and and it's hard to change an entire culture like well not even like an it's hard to change an entire belief system that people have and i think it's still leaking down from everywhere. I think in the end, even if beauty norms change, you still come back to that same problem of if I look a certain way, maybe I'll be more acceptable. Yeah. Have you ever, I'm sure you have. I feel like probably everybody has uh, body aside and physical appearance aside I think everybody has something that maybe is more is worn more on your sleeve than other aspects of yourself. I think everybody has a personality trait that's very natural to you that you don't overthink and you kind of wear that on your sleeve and people get closer to you and once you're in conversation or the beginning of relationship with someone they start reflecting back what they like about you and you do the same with them. Have you ever been in a a situation where you start realizing, and it's fun and it's nice, right, that they're reflecting this back at you, but then you almost become conscious of why they seem to like you and, and you second guess that? Like, is that really me? How do I hold up this image of myself now to them? Oh, yeah. And I think it probably happens with body, but it happens with other things too. I mean, for me... People usually comment on the way my mind works and my intellect. 
I don't know, whenever anybody says that, oh, you're really smart or blah, 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 all of a sudden I'm just like, crap, what did I say that made them think that? Because now I have to keep that up. That's why they like me. Yeah. Oh, I do. Okay. I do get what you're saying. Yeah. That's how I feel when people say that I'm funny. I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) Recom's not really funny, guys. And I'm not, I'm not really smart. So just slow your roll. Just stop it. Um, no, I do get that for sure. To bring that back around, do you think somehow that ties into why, I mean, you always want what you feel like you can't have, right? And we've already proven the point that this is not true. But somehow, I think, because I felt like I was lacking it, beauty felt objective. (laughs) And so, if I'm pretty and someone tells me I'm pretty, I could believe that because I could go look in the mirror and assess that. But if someone says, you're funny or you're smart, that feels false. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. That went off the rails a little bit, but... I did, but I, but I like it because I think that also ties into why we focus so much on our physical appearance because, because the internal is just, it either feels unchangeable or our, or our external feels um what's the word I'm looking for it almost feels less personal Mm. I think you know what's something I used to do as just kind of tell me (laughs) uh, talking about something that's less personal I and this was genuine this was (laughs) I very much loved punk rock music I was obsessed with the punk movement and I'm talking 70s punk Lou Reed Iggy Pop that stuff so come at me and mostly because I was just personally an angry kid and that music felt honest to me but I rode horses and I when I would drive myself to the stable I uh, partly out of joy but partly to just put out a test for the world I would blast punk rock music or Tom Waits which was its own brand of abrasive to certain people um and I I had a sunroof and I would open that and I'd roll down all my windows and I would drive up to the stable because there was this clique of kids that I was not a part of I didn't have any genuine interest in being a part of it but there's just something about me in every environment, not just that one, I would blast that music because if you liked it and you came up to me, we'd have something to connect over. But if you didn't, I could know you don't find me approachable because of that, not because of me. Oh, that's interesting. It's almost like a like a safeguard. Yeah. So that you don't accidentally get into a relationship that could go sideways. Yeah. And there was... Uh, the weird thing about that is I genuinely loved that music and those songs that were playing, but at the same time, I was kind of putting them out there to test people and keep them away. 
that's don't we all do that a little bit in different 100%. ways i feel like we go to extreme lengths to not have to deal with rejection yeah and and if we are to be rejected it has to be on our terms yes you uh know? controlled rejection <laughs> yeah absolutely because then that's way easier to take than yeah someone rejecting us for who we actually are i think that's sometimes the reason why controlling body image is um easier and feels more reliable because that's something out there and what's beautiful changes but it's kind of almost easier with fashion and with food and with hairstyle to change with the times and change Mm -hmm. with the trend than it is like you said internally you are who you are. I mean, hopefully we're all working on ourselves and yeah. <laughs> trying to grow. Be the best version of but you. But in terms of like who you are at your core, that's who you are. And you're discovering that over your lifetime and that's developing. But ultimately, that's you. And that doesn't, you can't change that with trends and fads. I mean, you can try. You can certainly fake it, but it's it's faking it. Whereas your haircut changing doesn't feel disingenuous, <laughs> you know, and yeah. it doesn't, it's so much easier to hide behind. But your body image is kind of that music you're blasting from your car. Yeah, what a good metaphor. You know, I think too, you can disagree with this, but... Great. <laughs> Finally, permission to disagree. I really needed that. Good. I'm glad. Um... <laughs> But I think another thing about focusing so much on body image and specifically with having an eating disorder, so much of it is more... Hold on one second. Yeah, you're good. I don't know that this will actually make any difference. (laughs) I'm not going to stop Brogo from feeling all his feelings. He's really feeling stuff right now. You know, a lot. It's He's a lot. Feeling a lot of things. A lot. Um. Oh, so I think specifically with having an eating disorder, so much of it is about controlling something. I just I think that I'm having a bit of a revelation right now. Of I was already aware of this that a lot of my own personal issues came out of needing to control something but I never thought about it in terms of even controlling whether or not someone rejects you or accepts you you know in that light I think it's so interesting to reflect on the fact that we do these little things just to have control and and I think a lot of working on our own image physical image that people see is just to control what they can't see Mm. i just think that's so interesting and so human to to seek this control that we'll never actually have yeah and i think that's also why it can spiral so quickly out of control I think a big part of 
Ellie's favorite phrase, catch 22, that I, Ellie's favorite phrase? It drives me insane. I heard that phrase before I moved out here, but it's a book. When I, well, yes, 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 I know. But I, (laughs) but when I moved out here, people, I don't know if I've passed a conversation with a stranger without that coming up. Wow. It's ridiculous. But now I'm going to see that everywhere. I don't think I noticed that in my conversations. And well, I think part of it is because LA in itself is just catch 22. <laughs> Hot take, guys. <laughs> LA is a catch 22. It is. As explained by Breakheim. <laughs> what does that mean? Anyways, but what I'm oh, sorry, I really derailed because that made me really angry. Um, but I, like, the the catch-22 in in my own experience was that I felt, exactly, I felt invisible, I wanted to be seen, but when people saw me, I didn't want to be seen because I felt like I wasn't good enough. And, and it's just this cycle of, of working really hard to be noticed and then immediately wanting to be invisible again yeah and it's not because it's not because of anyone or people's it's not even because whether people are noticing you for good or bad or however you're perceiving that it's more just out of you just don't want people to see you at all because again maybe it's a control thing as long as people don't see you you're safe yeah 100%. You can't be rejected if... Exactly. (laughs) There's nobody there to be rejected by. But then you're kind of lonely. It's just a little bit. And... Yeah. And experiencing these thoughts and... um, And even if you're not in the middle of an eating disorder or in the middle of some really big... um, dilemma with your body image I think that having these these lies and this search for control even if it's in a different way is so isolating Hmm. and yet everyone does it in different ways you know Well, I think that's where we're going to wrap up today. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope this conversation was helpful to you. And we hope that it encourages you to have more conversations like this. Include people in your story. Process together. We will see you next time where we'll dig a little deeper and we'll see how both Brie and I kind of got closer to that edge that spiraled down into an eating disorder. So thanks for listening to Merely. See you next time.